0: Welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop, GIST Yarn and Fiber. Marianne Moody is a fiber artist and weaver in Melbourne, Australia. She uses vibrant and unexpected color combinations in her tapestries and her wall hangings and her work has been featured in New York Magazine, O Magazine, Interwoven, and many other places. She's also a weaving teacher and the author of the book On the Loom, A Modern Weaver's Guide, and I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Welcome, Marianne. Hi, Sarah. It's nice to speak to you, too. Could you start out by introducing yourself and sharing how you found your way into this world of weaving?
1: Sure. Um, So I was an art teacher for um, uh, 10 years, Um, and I was... um, Sort of finishing with that, and I'd sort of it sort of lost lost its shine a little bit. And I don't know if any of you, if you're a teacher, or if you know any teachers, but it's really exhausting. And um, also, you know, um, a lot of people don't appreciate what teachers do as well. So after ten years, you sort of you can only give so much, I think. Um, and it seemed, you know, my body was sort of saying, well, this could be a good time to start having babies, and um, You know, so we decided that it was. And while I was pregnant, I was trying to decide what I was going to be doing with my maternity leave because in Australia we are very fortunate and very privileged that we actually get time off to spend with our babies. And, um, uh, you know, most places give you around six months so that you can be at home with your baby. And um, I was trying to decide... You know, I thought, well, I'm going to have the perfect baby that's going to sleep all the time. And <laughs> um, what am I going to do with this six months? You know, I should have a project. And I was cleaning out the art storeroom for the new for the new teacher. And she was there and she was sort of, you know, re- she really wanted a clean start. So, you know, she'd ordered this big dumpster and we were getting rid of a bunch of stuff and like old newspapers and Big bundles of raffia that had been there for 20 years and not being touched, and um, you know, way down the back under you know, a big pile of newspapers, we came across um, a loom, a little rigid head loom, and the box was broken, and we weren't even sure if all the pieces were in there. And um, I sort of said, what about what about this? Would you, do you think you'll do some weaving with the kids? And she said, well, there's only one. It's probably a bit broken. Let's get rid of that. You know, if I'm going to do it, I'll probably teach them on a cardboard loom. So, you know, go and throw that in the dumpster. And, you know, light bulb went off above my head. And I thought, well, I could probably have a go at this while I'm on maternity leave. You know, something to keep my hands busy while my perfect baby sleeps. And um, I took it home. And, you know, hallelujah, everything was in there. I didn't actually have any yarn at home. I had no wool. I had no fibres of any kind. I had some um, jute, you know, for um, tying up the tomatoes and some sort of neon waxed cord that I used to tie up um, presents with. And so I sort of warped up, you know, felt there was this tiny little booklet in there that showed you how to do, it was sort of more fabric than wall hangings, Um And so I followed the instructions and made a couple of, like, little swatches of fabric in just what I had around the house. And I just – it was like somebody switched the light on, you know. I'd done so many sort of crafty things, but nothing had ever stuck. Nothing really felt like it was mine. There were always people, like, in my friendship circle who could do that thing better or it it came more naturally to them. And then when I found the loom and started weaving, I just – it just it was like the difference between night and day and suddenly I just wanted to do it all the time and I wanted to know more and I wanted to you know just just yeah weave weave every spare moment.
0: That's great did you like when was the first moment when you were able to make something in your head where it came out and you felt like you had mastered the skills to the point where you could could create with it?
1: It took a while, actually. Um, pretty much the first, the whole of the first year was spent just having a go and trial and error and making lots of mistakes and, like, inventing stitches, which I didn't know already were stitches, but I, you know, no, I didn't have any formal training, so I was just, like, making things up as I went along, you know, and I'd be like, wow, I've made this really cool new... Um, new stitch and then like a few months later I'd find it in a book and it's like oh it's sumac and I'm doing it wrong (laughs) (laughs) but um, it took me yeah like and I wasn't at the start it was a lot of just like throwing yarn into these lines of warp and just sort of seeing what the result could be Um, and so I didn't really start designing until about a year later Um, where I felt like I was confident enough to make it, like actually draw something up first and follow my pattern. And even then, things would change as I went along. Um, So it really did, it took me a long time before I actually felt um, confident. And I didn't sell any of my work until over a year after I started weaving.
0: And what was it that drew you to want to create in that way as opposed to weaving maybe fabric on a floor loom or more traditional tapestries there's a whole wide world of weaving why did you pick this one
1: I am a rule breaker
0: Hmm.
1: (laughs) and um, I've always sort of challenged you know the status quo and um, really tried to push things um, into the unknown and I felt like when I did try things like you know like knitting or following the patterns of making fabric at the start it felt like I was really hemmed in by the rules. And if I didn't follow exactly right, the piece would come out looking wrong. Whereas when with this type of more freeform weaving, if you don't follow you know, exactly right, then, wow, you've got a feature. Yeah. You know, you could sort of turn it around and make it seem a little bit more like, wow, like I've really... I've done something weird and it's ugly and beautiful and um it feels really new whereas with um more traditional forms I felt like um yeah if you didn't get it exactly right then you were wrong hmm.
0: did you start sharing on Instagram right away or when did you start yes. finding and building a community there
1: Yeah, so um, I've always sort of had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit and I've always had a a side hustle. So even at school, I used to make toffees and take them in to school and sell them during lunchtime. And then when I went to – when I was studying teaching, I had – and even when I was teaching, I had a a vintage clothing um, company, online company that was really quite professional. You know, I had models that were coming in. I had buyers from, you know, different parts of the world – Um, you know, and I would have listings like big collections that would come out and we'd do proper photo shoots. And um, so I'd sort of built a bit of community and learnt a lot about business by running my own businesses. Um, And so I'd already had probably like three or 4,000 followers on Instagram from my vintage clothing followers. And so when I started sharing what I was doing sort of on the side, um, people who were already interested in that sort of vintage aesthetic it wasn't too big a jump for them and a lot of people just stayed on board as I transitioned from what used to be called House of Marianne which hmm. is my vintage clothing company to um, Marianne Moody which was my my woven work.
0: Hmm, And You have such a very distinctive style that you share now, that you have now with your work. And I'm curious how that style evolved and and where you pull your inspiration from for that.
1: I think I've always like had the idea that nothing is off limits. And I always like to give something a go. And whenever, you know, I get asked by new weavers or people who are starting out, what should they do? I always say, try something like try to weave every day and try to do something new every day. Just keep, like, look at some. Look at, you know, if you're looking at other people's work, try to pick the one thing in there that you really love and try to learn that skill. Like, you know, I think it's, you know, we all learn by copying. Um, you know, even at high school, we learn by, you know, looking at something and referencing what's already there. But the best way to push yourself forward is to try to really. Um, hone in on the one aspect of something that, that really appeals to you and then see what you can add to that to make something new. And so I think I've sort of tried doing that um, with my art in terms of skills, kept, kept trying to learn skills. Um, but now my actual, you know, rather than just being sort of skills-based, my actual inspiration when I'm doing my own work comes a lot from um, inside me, like my emotions And I have, you know, I have two children and, you know, super busy life. So, you know, when I get into my studio, it's actually like a meditation. So, you know, if I'm starting a new piece or starting a new collection, I'll sort of try to sit with my book and just sort of notice what I'm feeling. And sometimes the feeling comes first. Sometimes the um, time for a new collection comes first. And it might be um, I'm noticing that I'm feeling really jealous of something and I'll sit down and I'll draw some shapes on a paper and I'll try to, I sort of go through this system of different types of drawings while, all the while like sort of just sitting with that feeling and noticing that I'm feeling it rather than sort of pushing it away and thinking, oh, that's not a helpful feeling. You know, we shouldn't feel those feelings. Um, I try to sort of sit with them and, Um, And then once I have a few shapes, then I can start putting those shapes together to make my jealous weave or my angry weave or my anxious weave or my joyful weave, you know, whatever that feeling is that I'm feeling at the moment. Um, And then once I've got a few designs, I can sort of start weaving and then, you know, each piece might take me, you know, anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks. And that gives me a lot of time to actually have that feeling you know, sort of percolating through my body and by the end, you know, without actually like full-on looking it in the eyes, I'm sort of allowing it the space to be. And then by the time i finished either the piece or the collection, usually I've come to the, you know, come to know myself a little bit better by having a conversation with myself um, about what I need to do, the next steps or, or who I need to forgive or, um, you know, how to move forward. Um, so I think it's almost um, that process of creating is almost more important than the actual end product for me, because although that piece is now out in the world and, um, you know, might be hanging up on somebody else's wall, I still own the moment that I used to create it and the feelings and the process that I've gone through um, to know myself a little bit better.
0: hmm. That's a really powerful process. It made me think back to what you were saying about about working with kids as an art teacher and thinking about how you know all of us as adults and kids experience emotion, but kids often wear them on their sleeves more. And did yes. you like did did working with kids help you develop this process? Did you work with kids on doing art through their emotions? I'm just so curious.
1: I did. I did, but also my son, my oldest son, he's five and a half now, and he is extremely, like, you know, powerful child, you know, very free spirit, um, you know, he can go from zero to 100 in you know, less than a second and, you know, we're trying to help him with his mo- emotional intelligence and figuring out when, you know, when something is actually a 100 end of the world kind of um, emotion and when it might be just, oh, well, that sort of sucks kind of emotion. Um, so we do a lot of that sort of talk with him and now with his little brother as well, and even with my husband. Um, but I think I did sort of begin learning about that sort of emotional intelligence when I was teaching as well, yeah.
0: Do you weave with your son?
1: No. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried but he, I think he sort of has the view at the moment, why would you sit when you can run?
0: That's a fair enough view.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so why,
1: why would I weave when there's a tree to climb? Yeah, mm. that's,
0: that's also a good, beautiful way to live.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I watched with real interest as you were developing this large collection of work for Pearl Soho. And I'm wondering if you could tell me about that and how that partnership developed and what you wove for them.
1: Sure. So it wasn't for Pearl Soho. It was for Soho House. Oh, okay. So this is a different, um, a different group. So they are a group of um, hotels and um, spaces for creatives. Hmm. So creatives often have to travel the world and have meetings and um, you know visit other countries. So this is they are a group of. Our organisation of spaces for creatives. So it's a private membership. You pay, and then you can go and use their spaces all around the world. And they're opening a boutique hotel in Barcelona. And they contacted me and asked me if I would like to make the pieces for above the beds um, in each of the rooms. Wow. And I, I don't think I could have said no to that kind of opportunity. No. <laughs> Um, but yeah they sort of we worked together like we had a few um, back and forth you know um, phone calls and emails and um, Pinterest boards and things and um, you know it took us a while to actually figure out that the palette was you know so simple and so natural and um just sort of rather than trying to jam colors in there that wouldn't may not have necessarily worked we decided to go with just um the neutral base and have more of a focus on texture and shape and um they gave me a lot of creative freedom actually um you know I created the first sample and sent that over and they were really really pleased with it so then we moved ahead with the rest of the 16 piece collection um and it was just – it sort of felt like a really – another really emotional journey because I was creating these – and physical journey. I was creating these enormous pieces in my studio alone with my headphones in um, and, you know, noticing what my body was telling me, noticing these things that were coming up. So rather than, you know, sometimes my days in my studio are like a, a to-do list of 12 different things and, and when you have that – you don't really have time for listening to yourself. Um, whereas when you're on um, on the path of creating these 16 enormous pieces, um, I think you have more room for your mind to wander. And so I think that's why I decided to do those um, posts because I knew it was going to be a big um, milestone for me creating these big pieces, but I knew it was also going to be a bit of a journey um, and a bit of a struggle and also a celebration and so that's why I, um, yeah, decided to sort of take photos to commemorate as I was going through. Um, but also, if you go back and read each of the um, posts, I'm actually sharing quite a bit about, like, my thoughts for the day, either on motherhood or self-care or appreciation or, um, you know, wh- whatever it was that was I was going through my mind that day because I sort of had you know, 10 hours a day where I was thinking really while my hands were going through quite repetitive motions.
0: How do you take care of your body when you're working so hard like that?
1: I walk to work, so uh, to my studio, so it takes me half an hour to walk and half an hour to walk home and I don't have my headphones in. I just am sort of open to the elements, which is really nice. Um, but I on during the big collection I had three massages hmm. which I don't always have uh, two of them were really incredible and one of them was oh, torture <laughs> 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 two of them were Thai relaxation massages and the other one was you know how you can go in like at a shopping mall or something you know you can either sit up and they'll give you like a, a 10 minute head massage or a 15 minute shoulder massage um, I went into one of those. They also have them at the airport and stuff. But um, I asked for a, um, a back massage and, and this, there was a um, gentleman who took me in the back and he just used his elbows oh, and he was like um, actually above – so all of his weight was sort of pushing down on this one point of his elbow and it was half an hour of, um, yeah, torture. <laughs>
0: that's how you take care of (laughs) it.
1: bruised absolutely bruised so after that I don't know whether he 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 made it better but the fact that he it was so painful I was just so glad that it stopped Mm. (laughs) it sort of felt like he must have done something good
0: yeah what is one of what's another commission piece that you've worked on that you feel really proud of
1: so I'm working on one at the moment and it's actually been quite tricky so it's a um uh, for a hotel in Texas and they've it's a eight foot by six foot piece that's going to be sort of the centerpiece of the restaurant and they're um, we've been there's been a lot of back and forth on it but I feel like we're in a really good place at the moment so they want a piece with a donkey they wanted wow. to somehow incorporate a donkey and it's like that's just not my I've never I don't weave um, figures or um, I wasn't quite sure how we were going to do it and um, we sort of went through trialling and sampling a number of different things, getting an artist to paint over my weaving, um, which sort of didn't work in the end. But now we've sort of got, uh, it's sort of um, the vibration of a donkey, I guess. that I've figured out that I can actually weave. So it's not a realistic-looking donkey, but it's like if you look out of the side of your eye and squint a little bit, you might sort of get the whiff of a donkey in the piece. Um, So I'm about to start weaving that. And actually next week I'm going into – it's Wool Week in Australia and I'm making an installation um, at a big um, shopping plaza, center Um, in there in the sort of big atrium I'm making a woven tent where people can um, sort of walk inside and using lots of roving and making some pom-poms and some tassels and um, yeah sort of creating a big they've sort of made the structure for me so that I can just weave I've got a um, a few weavers who are coming out there with me and we're just going to weave all night and eat pizza and drink beer and weave a tent so that hopefully in the morning when people arrive, it will be a magical wonderland that sort of just appeared from nowhere.
0: That sounds amazing. When yeah, is that I'm gonna, pretty excited about it. When is that going to be so for people who are local? The
1: 22nd, the e- evening of the 22nd, next Tuesday, we're going in and they're, um, they're actually going to do a stop motion, not stop motion, um, a time lapse of us creating it. So hopefully I'll have that to share on social media.
0: Cool. <laughs> Well, switching gears a little bit, as an artist and small business owner myself, I'm always really curious what the biggest challenges are for other people who are artists and small business owners yeah. and, and how they face and approach them. And I'm curious to hear that from you.
1: I think a couple of things, like now I've been, yeah, I've, I've been sort of, I've had my own business for probably over 20 years, but I've been weaving with my weaving business for like uh, eight eight years um seven years um so I think one of the things was or I I, I could probably give you a couple of the big changes um the first one was actually employing someone was huge realizing that I was doing everything and I probably didn't need to be doing everything my creative mind could have focused more clearly on the bigger picture and so um as soon as I knew I could, um, I could bring somebody in, you know, however many hours a week, and they could come in and they could do the posting and they could do the wrapping and there was things that I didn't need to put my hands on. Um, and then um, because my uh, the whole business sort of grew really organically from me weaving and then um, somebody found out that I was had been a teacher and she got me to do some workshops through her. Um, School, um, and from there, um, people on Instagram sort of said, "Well, we can't make the in-person classes. Can we just buy the kit?" And then I started producing the kit, and then people were asking for online courses, which I've made, and the book. So, and all the time, I'm still making my um, making my artwork. So, I think um, it grew into almost five separate businesses under the one umbrella. And so um, knowing that you could pass along the things that you didn't, um, you weren't really enjoying was really great. But then also knowing when to pull back. Um, So I think the retail side was never really the thing that was, you know, I like being organised and I like being able to offer people um, the things that they're asking for, but it was sort of taking away from my time at the loom Uh, And so I think knowing when to sort of back off on different parts and that you don't have to do it all. So we sort of found that the more retail we were doing, um, the more people we had to employ. And then the more people we employed, the more retail we had to sell. So we got into this bit of a loop of um, now, oh, now suddenly we're not just offering the thing that people want, but we're having to make extra money to make sure that we're paying people's wages. Um, so then it became a bit of a push to make sure that we were, we had those figures up. Um, so actually making the call and deciding, well, maybe we'll just, you know, maybe let these people go and, you know, not not quite close down the retail, but certainly back off a lot, still have it there in case people really want it. But also it's a nice opportunity to say, well, you know what, these people also make really beautiful looms and this other person over here has really lovely yarn and this other person makes tools like being able to direct people to other people in the community also feels really nice um I don't have to be you know the fountain of all weavingness it's nice to be able to support the rest of the community as well
0: who is the we there you talked about making decisions was that the people you were employing or was it people in your family or how did you make those decisions
1: Oh yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. So I had four, five people that were working for me in my studio in Brooklyn.
0: Mm.
1: Um, So we would discuss, like we'd have meetings every week and talk about the business and ideas for new things and how we were pushing it forward and uh, what changes needed to be made, made, how everybody was feeling, what they wanted to do more, what they wanted to do less so we had a really open – like, I was a really awesome boss.
0: <laughs> we had a really
1: open, um, you know, conversation, open dialogue going a lot of the time about – because I never really felt like it was my business. I felt like, oh, this business has sort of just plopped in my lap. And for it to move forward, like, the more brains together, like, let's all work together and see how this goes. And it, all, it was always very much – and I still have the feeling now that nothing is forever. And so – I'm, I'm, you know, if Instagram falls over tonight, then it, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't change me as a person that I suddenly don't have a hundred thousand followers. I'm still, I'm still the same person, and it doesn't change me now. Um, it sort of doesn't really have anything to do with who I am as a person, um, and so I'm sort of always ready for the next change, you know, mm-hmm. um, even like. Yeah, I sort of don't feel like, oh, I've worked so hard to build this up. I feel like I've been really privileged that I have the opportunity to do what I do and make enough money for my family and make enough money so that I can um, have this as a self-care routine and meditation um, and this beautiful studio space. Um, So I think when noticing when something's not working for either the studio or our family um, is the most important part of running a business noticing when people are happy and when they're not when when it's working and when it's not and then when it's not it's time to let it go and being okay with that
0: thank you for sharing that that's yeah it's really good advice for people (laughs) good for me to be thinking about that yeah so how I feel like well it
1: depends because I'm not a planner and Mm. I know so there's some people who have these big plans and they really want and so it's a lot harder for them to let things go for me I just sort of very much go with the flow kind of person so you know it's easy for me to sort of say oh just let it go it's not working let it go but I know that's it's it's hard for some people yeah
0: definitely so if people would like to learn from you what are their options
1: um, so, I now have three online classes or online courses. So, um, beginners weavers.
0: Whoops.
1: Sorry, my headphone just popped out. Um, <laughs> beginners weavers. Um, and then there's a shapes class, which is more, um, sort of a slightly more advanced. And then there is um, fibre sculpture. So, more like tassels and um, 3D sort of um, sculptures that you can make. And the next class that I'll be doing is a roving class, so big fat yarn class and how to work with that in your weavings. Um, So that's probably the easiest because you can do that from any country, any time you pay $25 and, you know, and it's probably the cheapest as well. And then you can watch it as many times as you like, as often as you like. Um, And I sell the kits in my Etsy shop if you want, you know, if you don't have your own loom or... Um, tools I have that as well and then I have my book which is called On the Loom uh, which is I sell in my Etsy shop but if you're not in Australia then postage is a bitch so um, if you look it up online you know in your country then you know it's it's available in most places as well and you'll probably get the postage a lot cheaper than um, trying to get me to send it from Australia Um, I teach in-person classes. I've just this, the last six months, I've actually just taken a break because I've had so many big commissions to work on um, that I haven't had time um, to think about the classes. And also my um, uh, five-year-old started school. So I really wanted to make sure, you know, while he's going on his little crazy emotional journey, Mm. I sort of wanted to be present with him and not feeling like I was my mind was in other places and then my body was physically in other places so um just for the moment i've you know it's been nice to be home but um if you're signed up for my newsletter which you can sign up through my website which is just maryannreedy.com um on my newsletter we let you know about when the next classes in-person classes are coming up
0: well Marianne, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today and to share your story. And I have one last question, which okay. is if you have any parting advice or words of wisdom that you would want to share with other weavers out there.
1: Um, I think, yeah, what I was saying earlier, just keep having a go at different things and mixing things up. I started a, um, a hashtag with um, a spinner. Um, a friend who was a who spins her own yarn, and the hashtag is weave weird, and you know that's the whole idea. Don't like after you've learnt the initial skills of, you know, um, tabby and raya and loops. Um, and, sumac. and, you know, you've got those sort of initial skills under your belt. Just start mixing things up and doing things back to front and upside down and in a different fiber. And how about cable ties? How about dental floss? How about, you know, putting some weird things in there that you're not trying to think I'm trying to sell this piece and I want to make something pretty, but rather – I'm creating something a little bit weird that maybe would make is going to make me feel a bit uncomfortable while I'm weaving it and make my viewer feel a bit uncomfortable because that's where we're going to grow as a group of, of artists is if we just make something that makes us feel a little bit weird instead of always trying to make something pretty that we think is going to sell.
0: That's a wrap. To find links up to Marianne's website and social media, and to see lots of photos of Marianne and her work, you can visit the show notes at www.gistyarn.com/episode-19. That's g-i-s-t-y-a-r-n.com. Next week on the podcast, we're talking about weaving with paper. I'm talking to Linda Thalman, the founder of Paper Fiend, a company in Austria that makes paper yarn for weavers and other crafters. I stock this paper yarn in my shop, and it's probably what I'm most frequently asked about. What can we weave with paper? Is it delicate? Can you wash it? Etc. Etc. So we're going to talk about all of this and lots more, and you can tune in next Monday to hear all about it. Until next time, happy weaving!